Welcome to Flavor Text, the podcast where we examine the intersection between law, story, and gameplay in Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm Krabby Terra 8, and I'm joined as per usual by my reformatted co host, Kevling. How are you, Kevling? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. But if we ignore the fact that you got me up at 7 30 a.m. to record this. <laughs> <laughs> good. <laughs> And uh, in addition, we're joined by a very special guest, uh, Leroy, from the, uh, well, a couple of YouTube channels, but most notably Harlan is in Danger and the Oscarinas Award Show. How are you, Leroy? I'm doing well, thank you. Awesome, awesome. So how are we all going uh, this evening, gents? Evening. Evening? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's dark it outside me. behind you. Yes. I don't even get up this early when I'm at work. <laughs> oh, the sacrifice—the sacrifices we make for podcasting. There you go. There we go. <laughs> Very much appreciated. It is eleven forty at night my time, so uh, ah, we're at all hours of the day. And uh, but at least one of us lucked out, haven't you? Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Well, well, it's it's getting on here. It's 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 twenty to seven in the evening. Oh, terrible! <laughs> Just terrible. Awful. So yes, we are here to do a yeah final wrap up episode of the Forgotten Age. But as per usual, maybe we should just uh, have a bit of a chat about what we've been doing games wise. Maybe Leroy, you want to kick us off and uh, what have you been doing games wise? Board games, video games, games, games. What have you been up to? I had a feeling you might ask me that, and I was thinking to myself, I don't have a good answer for that because I have been playing uh, tons of different games i've just been sampling all sorts of things in part for the oscarina show that i run but also just in my personal time i can't seem to find one to stick i've been playing some mm. Coromon, i've been playing some control i've been playing some bug fables just bouncing around trying to find something to land as for uh, board gaming though i um i got a revised corset over the holiday break and so yep. I took my old corset cards, I put them in a smaller box, mm -hmm. and I've been using that to teach my uh, my game club of, of students uh, Arkham Horror, the card game, and they've been loving it. So that has been, I think, probably the real highlight of my gaming experiences lately. Oh, fantastic. How do they find it? Like, is it is it kind of, you know, for that, that kind of, I guess, younger generation? Younger generation! How do they find <laughs> it, the, the sort of whole Lovecraftian Arkham Horror thing? The ones who have a background in Magic the Gathering ah, adapt yep. very quickly. Um, yep, and yep, and yep. They're, they have no trouble really understanding the mm -hmm. kind of logistics of it. The ones who do not, yeah. they struggle a little bit and they ask a lot of questions and they just try to understand, well, how does, how does this card function? How, do you, how are you supposed to play it? How do you pay for it? These kind of things yeah, that we yeah, yeah. just kind of become second nature to you when you're playing a card yep. game or yeah. lost on them. They're more yeah, used yeah. to like Uno and things that are a little more just kind of straightforward yes yeah <laughs> that's what people say when they say oh you've you, you, what games do you play i say i play this card game and they immediately think they go what poker you know <laughs> like mm, not quite no maybe magic the gathering and then they look at me you can see that kind of blank glaze come over their eyes <laughs> like no <laughs> Oh, that's them, really like yeah, just just like poker, and then bring them <laughs> to a game, and then they'll be like, "Oh my goodness, <laughs> just like a poker with monsters." 
that's what I should say. How about you, Kevling? What have you been uh, up to since we last spoke? Well, I platinum Spider-Man 2, which I'm quite pleased of. Whoa! Okay. Wow. Yeah, brilliant game. Typical Insomniac polish. Um, I know it's up in lots of people's Game of the Year awards, but to be honest, it is more Spider-Man, just really good Spider-Man. <laughs> Board game-wise, not done a huge amount. I've got the... Um, Stretch goals for ISS Vanguard have just turned up, and um, <laughs> as I know, as I knew it was on its way, I've had ISS Vanguard set out on my desk over there to the oh, left, yeah. uh, so that I could actually work my way through the, the campaign. And it has just awesome sat there. <laughs> <laughs> I've not played it. <laughs> Great. How about yourself? Oh, uh, a labyrinth of lunacy. We had like, one of those mass mass gatherings at uh, mm. my local game store. We did labyrinths of lunacy, and um, I think I played it before. It's sort of like Saw meets Arkham Horror, the card game sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, spoilers, uh, but I found it incredibly, <laughs> incredibly annoying because first of all, if you've played it, I ended up as the one person by myself in a room with nothing to do for part of it. And I kept drawing auto fails and minus fives and I'm just sitting in this room and I'm not doing anything, <laughs> which was really frustrating. And then it's all this thing about you've got to tell other tables to do things before you can do things. And oh, I don't mm. know, didn't really vibe with me. So uh, yeah, not, not, not a fan of that one. But the other thing I got, I got all of these, which are the the new premium tone boxes. I got all of them, every color. Yeah, with the the magnetic closures, and they're they're very very nice inside. They're really premium. They're lovely. So got those. Now those windows on the front, so you can see who's in the box. Yeah, so you can see the name of the investigator here. I've got Agnes in here, so you can see her name there. Very nice. And you put yeah. the you put the little card here, so yeah, you can yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's quite nice, really. Oh. Yeah, they're lovely. And I do, I've, uh... been, I've been playing Baldur's Gate three. Uh, oh my goodness! Yeah, I got to get back to that. <laughs> my goodness, <laughs> is this? It's great, but it's as clunky as shit, I tell you. I'm really, after playing things like Dark Souls, I'm like, pause the game and then I'm going to jump on this. I'm like, ah, <laughs> I've got to, ah, it's driving me mad. So the, I, I think it's taken me, I'm just getting used to the combat system. And it reminds me of Dragon Age, but Dragon Age is like, 10 12 years old now but it feels similar to that but i guess you know there's more there's more kind of choices and things and i am enjoying it but it's taken me a little while to get used to it though so um it's definitely it's, an adjustment because i went into that having played fire emblem and so mm. i was trying to apply fire emblem logic where you can take back uh, movements yeah. at your leisure and that was yeah. not something the game was letting me do. I was like, oh my goodness, I have to commit to everything I do in this. But yeah, it's yeah. one of those things. Games are always just that. There's that hurdle. You have to learn yeah. the mechanics and it really taxes your mind in a good way. But it is something yeah. that a lot of people kind of uh, it's like I see it with my high schoolers. A lot of them are just like, eh, yeah, this game was interesting, but it's just too complicated. It's just too complicated. Yeah. Is what and then there's always the few who are like, oh, no, that was actually very stimulating. I want to know more mm. about how that worked. Mm. Yeah. Did you find it that way, Ke Kepling, um, playing the combat? And 
The thing with me is Baldur's Gate completely slipped under my radar before it came out and then, then all of a sudden it hit all the headlines, everyone was talking about it, right. uh, my daughter bought it, I started playing it and I haven't a clue even what the gameplay was. Mm, yeah. Um, <laughs> and yet when it, when it actually turned out that the combat was like more like XCOM where yeah I'm going to move this person over here, I'm going to do this, uh, being an old man and uh, <laughs> unable to... Uh, react to things on the screen yeah, in a timely true. manner i um yeah. it really suited me <laughs> yeah i i'm like I think... you I, I don't like i don't have high reaction time anymore i, I just like <laughs> the slow and steady is is best i think the one thing is the saving system though i keep forgetting to auto because you've got to auto save all the time because you might suddenly talk to someone and they might then murder you <laughs> you're not ready for it and if you have an auto save so that that's like i keep forgetting to auto save it's like ah because you can end up in a combat you know you walk into a yes. room and suddenly there's 50 guys all firing arrows at you and you all die and you're like what i didn't i haven't saved for an hour ah no <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of thing's happened to me a couple of times. But the thing you got to watch on YouTube, speedruns of Baldur Gate 3, there's there's quite a few of them. But someone, mm. but someone and, and, and I'm not kidding, someone's doing a sex speedrun of Baldur Gate 3, how quickly you can get to act sex with someone, and it's like in under two minutes. It's like 90, 90, 90 seconds or something it takes them to, <laughs> to actually get to that point. And people are like, wow, that's a minute longer than it takes me to have sex in real life. <laughs> <laughs> and think it's really funny but yeah how quickly they manage but it's through you know all these exploits there's these weird exploits you can okay. do to, to get to points in the game so it's not an actual you know you have to use you have to clip through the game okay. and do all kinds yeah. of things but uh it's worth worth watching because it's pretty funny and and I appreciate that you can run around the uh, the, the, the game stark naked if you want. I think that's awesome. So that makes some of the conversations and interactions pretty funny, actually. So anyway, so um, anyway, enough about Baldur's Gate 3. Let's talk about The Forgotten Age. So maybe the best place to kick off, Leroy, is talk to us about your experience with, because I know you're a bit of a fan. Yes, talk to us about your experience with The Forgotten Age. Yeah. So I actually do have a story with my first playthrough of this game, but I feel like that's true of any person who played Forgotten Age for the first time. It was our second campaign uh, with my sisters and myself. Um, so it was the three of us. And we had just finished Dunwich and we started up Forgotten Age and we just picked the new characters. We build some fairly reasonable decks. We start playing. And we get absolutely destroyed. Just, I mean, decimated in the jungle. We can't, we, we find like three locations and that's it. We just get swarmed by snakes. We're too afraid to kill them because we don't know what vengeance means. And we were so like shocked over how difficult the game was. We knew like by reputation that it was hard. But yeah. I was so excited for that Indiana Jones-esque theme that I had to get it. And so we tried it and it was rough. And so we went back. We made uh, new decks, new characters. Uh, we kind of changed everything around, and we sat down and was like, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna beat this scenario this time." And then we had a clear, and it was still rough, but we made it through. And then we just mm. kept pushing for yeah. a little bit further. And so it was kind of one of those things where I'm glad that we started over. And I think it's something about this campaign that I don't know that everyone will like 
follow that advice to be like, ooh, that that run of that first scenario was way too tough. I need to rethink my strategy mm. and kind of try again from the ground up because mm. I think it can create a little bit of a snowballing effect where it just gets harder and harder and harder. Mm. Um, I think my overall sentiment is that it's endearingly fun, especially now because it expects you to play at a high level. And so mm. it gives you lots of experience, but you also have to earn it. And so you need mm. to come in with a very strong deck and you need to be playing at like a level of competency with the game that I don't think is possible with a smaller card pool, or at least not as yeah. much, or without having lots of experience. You need like kind of a combination of those two. So I think you're saying that, I don't know if this was intentional, but it's not really a campaign for people who are relatively either quite casual players of Arkham Horror or fairly inexperienced. I is think it, it's if not you're really for them. Okay, with the kind of looming threats that happen. Like, uh, mm. for example, you know, the trauma that this game will dilly out. And sometimes yeah. that matters, but, you know, for a good chunk of the game, it may not. And mm. sometimes it's more about just psychologically getting over that hump of like, oh, my goodness, I have so much like damage mm. on me. I can't do anything. I can yeah. see a, a pathway for someone who's not super into the game yet or they're kind of just getting their feet wet and they're sort of struggling, but then they're kind of like, Eh, I'm only passively interested in not letting those things bother them so much. Because you look at a lot of cards like, you know, what is it? Not Serpent's Ire, but the the one that basically debuffs you. It takes away a health and then a combat. But it doesn't, like, do a whole mm. lot beyond that. It just kind of is this very light passive effect. Or there are encounter cards which will be like, oh, this is going to come up later. Maybe because it's going to go into the exploration deck. But it might mm. never come up, possibly. And so you have yeah. these weird choices where, like, I guess we'll just take a vengeance, which maybe does something, but it doesn't do something mm. right now. And so you kind of have breathing room and learning yeah. to kind of capitalize on that, I think, is, is where it's strong. Yeah, yeah. Um, you made the comment about that you get a good amount of experience from, you know, so there's a difficulty. But that's one of the things I think I found that I sort of struggled with with it, with it that yeah, it's it's difficult, but it doesn't feel like you get a lot of experience to commensurate with the difficulty that it's throwing at you. Do you know what I mean? Like if 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 you're having some trouble with the difficulty, it's not it's not a campaign that's particularly generous with XP to help you kind of get your card pool relatively strong relatively quickly. Um, so you need to pack two copies of Delve Too Deep. And you need to, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean that sincerely, like you kind of yeah. have to be thinking, and that's almost like, oh, I don't want to do that because it's going to make it harder. But it was mm. kind of this like, ooh, we're going to need that for like a future scenario. Uh, one of the things actually Tom and I were talking a little bit about Forgotten Age because mm. we had played that recently on Harlan. And um, mm. he was saying that like the campaign has these moments of like, it's full of highs and lows. And so mm. it will have these really, really tough scenarios. But then mm. it'll give you something like Threads of Fate, which is a little bit easier. Mm. And then it's back to Boundary yep. Beyond. And so you're yeah. kind of in this influx where you're always working hard to try to get as much XP as you can. But mm. the scenario difficulty is going to vary depending upon like how much you need to accomplish. And there's a lot of them, in fact, where you don't need to complete everything. It's kind of like you get as much as you can. So I think mm. that kind of lends itself to it. And I think there's a real competitive edge to it or at least a mindset that you can take to the campaigns if you're doing poorly or if you have a bad run then mm. it can be really tough on your xp count i think tom and i experienced that this recent time because 
we had yeah. a really rough go of it and i switched to stella midway because leo died so i couldn't mm. use him anymore and obviously that like hurt my xp count but i was able to kind of pull through for the most part like i felt like i had a functional competent deck and it could be that stella's really good which i think she is but it's also just something that like it's not impossible but i still needed to build like a really smart deck and i needed to be really thinking about everything mm. that was coming my way there's instances where it has things that I guess just become a full stop. Like the fact that it has that lone minus five that will show up and pretty much shut down anything you were trying to do just as much as an autofill would. Yeah. Um, even the Doom of Etsley, I think you can fail that and like end your campaign right then and there. And so there's these, it's it's like really harsh, but part of that is actually the game being kind in a way. It's saying, I don't want you to keep going because you're just mm. going to have a miserable time if you keep going. Like right, you're, you right. need to try that. <laughs> You know, second round. Right. Unlike um that first scenario in Dream Eaters where mm. if you stay on the path, you get nothing. And that can mm. really damage you throughout the rest of the campaign. And there's no kind of like safety measure to like yes. compensate for that. Yeah. I wonder about the social, the unwritten social contract that all games, you know, whether they're video games or board games have with the player. And I wonder whether the Forgotten Age kind of violates that. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing because, mm -hmm. but I wonder if there's a social contract that's set up that says the first three or four scenarios will, the first couple will be relatively easy. Then it will get a little bit harder and a little bit harder and a little bit harder so that the difficulty in any campaign will get progressively more difficult because it will keep pace with you upgrading your deck. So in other words, the difficulty gets more difficult, but your deck gets better. And so when you get to the final scenario, where well, yes, you may die in the final scenario, but by then you've, you know, you, you, you're, you're keeping pace with the sort of the difficulty of the scenarios through the campaign. And I think the Forgotten Age violates that social contract to some degree by yes, undermining that. that very assumption because actually the first two scenarios are particularly punishing. Like you say, Threads of Fate, less so. Um, mm -hmm. But it feels like, particularly if people are doing this as a blind run, they have expectations that they would have gotten from Carcosa. They probably yeah. would have gotten from Dunwich, right? Or even even the Knight of the Zealot. And the Forgotten Age just throws all that out the window mm -hmm. and and basically, like I said, violates that contract right at the beginning. What, what I mean, what, what do you guys think about that? Is that a good thing? Is that something that, you know, that is good to have that sort of unexpectedness? I don't know. I think I agree with you to some extent. Um, and like you say, breaking that social contract isn't necessarily a bad thing. Mm. I think the fact that, as you say, it is mix it up. It is doing something different. It's experimenting with the format. And I'm sure we'll come on to it later about the new mechanics that are introduced, like the explore and the supplies. Mm. But by just completely mixing things up, uh, messing with your expectations, I think that's what makes Forgotten Age special compared to what's gone before. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. Experimentation is good. I also think if you have a good thematic justification for why you're mm. making that choice, that's really important. And I think this one has that. The idea is that you're not in Kansas anymore, right? You're not in Arkham anymore. You are out in the jungle and you're going to have to carve your way forward. And so yeah. the fact that that first scenario is so harsh is actually a good mm -hmm. thing because 
it makes you like stop and go, this scenario has some teeth. And if that's what I got to deal with in that first one, what on earth am I going to have to face going forward? And yeah. I think that kind of is, is, is exciting in its own way. And I understand like it definitely can be frustrating. I don't want to say that like doesn't have those opportunities. And I totally empathize mm. with people who are like, this is just too much. That was kind of how I felt about that dream side of the dream eaters. If you like Arkham Horror, I feel like this is a campaign you don't want to miss just because it is going to really surprise you with just how different and unique it is. Yeah. And you can't really put a price on just how like the fact that it is so different is just it makes it special. Yeah. I think as well, having those first two scenarios set in the jungle and being quite punishing, like we said, then to return to Arkham and it's like, ah, mm -hmm. oh, I'm back in my comfort zone now. I know where I am. I know what's going on. I know what I can do. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really refreshing take as well. Yes. And, and, and when you find out you've got to go back into the jungle, I mean, I know I had a visceral reaction to that. I remember thinking, no, really, I've got to go back, which is awesome in a way, right? Because that's the way you should feel about going into the jungle, right? It's like, <laughs> not again. Oh, my goodness. Right. But you can stop off at St. Mary's and you can heal up and then it gives you that repeat. It gives you a chance to yeah. be like, oh, I can take a breath here for a moment before I have to go trudging back into the yeah. thicket. Yeah. And I think that's possibly the saving grace of this campaign is that if the story wasn't so strong and it's so epic and mm -hmm. really well done, I, I think the campaign would just wouldn't hold up as well as it does because I, I think to, your, to both of your points is that when it intersects with the, with the actual story, it's really quite compelling because it doesn't feel forced in that sense. Like you say, it should be difficult. It is mm -hmm. difficult, and so you get that you get that experience. I know, Kevlin, when you and I were playing Depths, I think it was Depths of Yoth. Oh yes. And it's the bit where you're groping around in the pitch black. And I thought, oh, my goodness, have we made it this far? And all the stuff that's happened along the way is incredible. And now we're groping around in the pitch black and like somewhere deep in. It reminded me a little bit of uh, for those. I know I go on about it a bit, but in Dark Souls, when you be, make it to the bottom of Blight Town, you're a million yep. miles from anywhere. It's. <laughs> so it's so hostile and it's you're in a poison swamp and you're like have mm -hmm. i got here have i actually made it here and it's like such an achievement but it's like you've got this feeling that you're never going to get out of here ever again and it's incredible really uh and only only through difficulty you're going to get that kind of experience because otherwise it would seem kind of frivolous right it wouldn't it wouldn't have the 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 impact that it does it's the dark night of the soul or the belly of the whale it's the the moment in the journey that's where it's you know it's most bleak but yeah i don't i don't think that would be i don't think that would work if they did that for every campaign i mm. think it's it works because it it was in like like you were saying kevlin how it it is different from the previous campaigns that people had experienced before that point and so when it introduced it it was a lot to take in but yeah, I think also actually to tie to a point you were saying earlier, um, the encounter cards, I think, are really grounded for me. I think that's one of the reasons why I like this campaign so much is mm. when I draw an encounter card, it feels like I can thematically tie it into my current situation pretty much always. Like mm. if you're drawing ants or like a snake bite, like those are things mm. you would just naturally organically encounter in a jungle as opposed mm. to a card where it's like, 
I don't know, like whispers in your mind or something. Mm. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm getting whispered too, but who's whispering at me? Or <laughs> is that just in my head? And you're like, you're having to like figure out like yep. what what's actually going on in this particular environment that's making this thing happen. Whereas in Forgotten Age, so many of the encounter cards is this moment is appearing or this item is here. Or this thing is here. Mm. This obstacle has taken place. Um, you're lost in the wilds now. It's like, oh, shoot, I got lost. Well, that makes sense because I, I went off exploring and I drew this from the exploration deck and I got lost immediately. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I had this thought today that the edge of the earth, it's sort of like Forgotten Age redone in some ways, right? It's a, it's a hostile yeah. outdoor environment. It's sort of, you know, humankind against the natural elements. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that they didn't, it doesn't use the exploration mechanic. In fact, does any other campaign use the exploration mechanic? I don't think it does. So it's in, interesting that they didn't, um, and they had enough time, right, that they would have yeah. seen how the Forgotten Age was, people responded to it. But it's interesting that they didn't kind of follow the forgotten age even though it's a similar idea it's not like Mm -hmm. they took i guess maybe some of the more environmental aspects like you were talking about i think they're in the edge of the earth there there doesn't seem to be a keenness on the on the part of the developers to use the exploration mechanics again for example or to make it as punishing which because you would think that the arctic would be pretty punishing right but they didn't make it as punishing by any stretch of the imagination so it's interesting that they haven't gone back to that. You know, it feels unique in that sense that they haven't revisited that level of difficulty and harshness. And that mm-hmm. that social contract has not been broken since, I don't think. I think I would agree with that, yeah. The one thing they did do, which I think The Forgotten Age would have been in- interesting, is how many allies you get in Edge of the Earth. You know, there's a whole yes. cast of characters, right? And companions. I mean, Forgotten Age is really you've got sort of two potential companions in in the form of uh, Alejandro and um, Ichtaka, right? Who are kind of competing on two sides. But there's not really this large cast of characters that there is in in, in Edge of the Earth. Well, I mean, there are recurring characters in your expedition mm. party in the Forgotten Age, but yeah, I agree. They don't actually take part in the game from a gameplay element. It's more mm. just the narrative, isn't it? To compare the two, one of the things they might have been thinking about is that in the Arctic, you're not like constantly being threatened. It's a slow burn. You're just mm. in a very, very cold environment. And so you have to make conscientious use of your supplies and you need to make sure you have shelter and you need to make sure you're warm. And so you have, it's like, it's a harsh environment, but, and it's constant one, but it's almost Mm. like cozy in a sense, because you're constantly going to be hunting down, like to like cling to your people and to have like some safety nets. Whereas in the forgotten age, you're trying to carve a path through the jungle and there's just constant things that are going to try to kill you because it's just a hazardous environment. And so maybe to like better reflect that. Like, I think they both work. I do agree. It would have been interesting to see Explorer make a return. It's not mm-hmm. even that complicated of a system to implement, or at least not to play anyways, or to teach a new player. So I, mm-hmm. I, I sometimes wonder why they haven't revisited it. But it is one of the things that gets me excited to play through Forgotten Age again, is just building the map slowly. Mm-hmm. There's something really nice and pleasurable about that, about seeing, okay, well, this goes over here. Okay, so we found this connection, so that we're mapping out the area ourselves which was kind of like an extension to what the game established from the very beginning is that cards have surprising things on the back of them when you move into those locations. 
and explorer took that and put it into a deck and was like now when you pull that card you're gonna have to figure out where it belongs in the mm. assortment of things going on yeah i think a couple of people from the reddit forum made comments about the exploration kind of nerfing your ability to move and scout using traditional cards and so maybe it's to do with that maybe it's it's around that but i like the exploration I think one of the other things we found with the explore mechanic was that it, in some ways it can actually force you to split the party up because uh, as you explore, you move into a location. That location then has a negative effect for whoever just moved into it. And the person you're playing with goes, well, I'm not following you in there. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> so it's another example of forcing you to play the game differently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does really change the dynamic. And of course, the other thing is that anybody can explore, right? Yes, I know Ursula, I think it is, has a special ability associated with exploration, I think. I think so. Well, after she moves, she gets the reinvestigate. But if she explores, she moves. So yes, in effect, she does. But it kind of equalizes everybody in that sense, doesn't it? Everybody can equally explore, right? There's no, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't need any special cards to do it or anything like that. So it really democratizes uh, that part of the game because it gives everybody the power to, to, to do that <laughs> in that way. So, yeah, I think with the difficulty, I think the thing that is, and we're just talking about the story, is that for me it stops people enjoying the story. I had not appreciated till we just did this podcast series how awesome the story is for the God Age because you're so caught up in just trying to survive that I kind of never really paid attention much to actually what was going on in this story and it's an incredible story but you, but i think most people are so caught up in survival mode that they don't even think about all the ways this story uh, i mean kevling will remember when we both realized that the first two scenarios are actually happening in the past they're not in the present you're actually playing out yes. what's mm-hmm. in a diary and actually the present actually starts, I think, with Threads of Fate, right? Because everything before it yeah. is in a diary. So if you're dying and things, mm-hmm. you're reading a diary of somebody else who tried to get through the jungle and died. And I <laughs> like that was lost on me, completely lost on me when I played it. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Like I and and, I, and that didn't I think because I was so focused on ah survival and ah and am I going to parley with each attack or is the whole thing going to fall in a heap that I completely that completely passed me by in that way. Well, you know, that's like uh, the best kind of storytelling are ones where they make sure that the obstacles the heroes are against have enough agency that they feel like they're the hero of their own story. And so in this, the mythos is so strong and so intense that I think it just leaves such a strong impact because like you said that's that is really cool to pick up the diary and be like oh they just now I'm just recounting what happened with our last party who just got completely slaughtered and it just makes this larger statement about like how dangerous of a an enemy you're up against so I think I got a newfound appreciation for the for this and how epic it is across time you've got the brotherhood and then you've got yig and they're sort of fighting it out i mean the only thing again is that you wouldn't necessarily appreciate that in the sense that it's really hard to ally with alejandro it's much easier to ally with ichtaka right they haven't made it that easy to be siding with the brotherhood right they're not they don't make it that easy it's unless you're really trying hard you're going to sort of be on the side of ichtaka most of the time or at worst neutral right 
And you can end up playing as a uh, a Yithian, right? Totally clomping around. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. I love it. When I played through that scenario the first time uh, with my sisters, we were, um, one of them was uh, talking with one of the Yithians. She was doing that parlay mm -hmm. action just repeatedly to like pick up clues or something like that. And the other was like, I'm going to take him out and save you. And she was like, no, no, no. And so it was almost like in the movie where someone's like, gonna like shoot him and it's like no 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 like, like <laughs> <laughs> then we have to like go off and busy ourselves somewhere else as these weird <laughs> youthian creatures oh my goodness and it's such a shock because again kind of violate actually i realized the reason i don't like it or i didn't like it is because it violates a social contract in that it it takes away all your agency as an investigator it's mm -hmm. like you are no longer an investigator. You've lost your stuff. Like if you're really into your guns or your, you know, whatever it is, your stuff, you lose right. it. Uh, mm -hmm. And you've got to tramp around as a, as a as sort of a big hulking Yithian instead. Again, that's kind of a violation because usually you expect, you know, I'm, I'm going to progress, but my character will remain intact Yes, we'll take trauma. Yes, we'll, but but not mm, nothing's going right. to take that away from me. And the gang goes, "Oh no, <laughs> we're just going to take all that away from." You. And yeah, you can get it back <laughs> if you're lucky. But it, it, again, there's that bit of that, that sort of violation of that kind of unwritten social contract with the player. I just love the utter unexpectedness of that scenario in the fact that yeah, all of a sudden that's it. You are an alien now and you have nothing. You don't have any of your toys and deal with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's what happens in video games. You know those levels where they take everything away from you and stick you in a jail or something and then you, mm -hmm. you've got you've to kind of strangle the guard and get the key but then there's always a chest just around the corner. It happens to contain everything <laughs> you had previously. Everything. Not your guns, your weapons, every note you picked up, every scrap of paper, everything. It's such a uh, great like adaptation for the shadow out of time, that hmm. idea of being trapped into the Ithian body and just being so uncomfortable and have it be strange. Like think about how inventive an idea that is as opposed to just being like oh well you failed this mission spectacularly so here's a week another weakness in your deck like that works but i think it's so much more novel and amazing to just be like oh no you're you're gonna have to stay in that body now it's like oh, what <laughs> i guess i'll try to figure out how to make this work then <laughs> <laughs> um yeah yeah that's yeah and you're right it is a good use of the shadow out of time which is uh you know it, because the character in the shadow out of time doesn't have a lot of control over what's going on uh there's sort mm -hmm. of just this thing's just happening to them and the in that way so yeah, yeah exactly yeah one thing that always makes me laugh is that yes you could be stuck in the body of a yithian and you're carrying on the rest of the adventure and nobody bats an eyelid. <laughs> <laughs> what, you don't know any Yithians in real life? <laughs> Did you find any clues, Roland? <laughs> Let's go to Belma's diner for coffee. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even if it's just for a gag, it's a very good gag. 
the fact mm. that you could just be stuck in this body. I mean, it's supposed to be existential horror, but I think it's it's very comedic and it's very fun. And something that I think sometimes people forget about Lovecraft's writing is he does have a streak of adventure in him. His favorite story that he wrote is The Color Out of Space. And mm. that one is just straight up an adventure story. I mean, there's horror elements to it, but a lot of it is just very fun. And it's kind of like, oh, they're being attacked and then they're going to rise to the occasion and try to see if they can circumvent the bad situation that they're in. And so like that sense of traveling somewhere and then getting wrapped up in it. And then you become this Yithian for temp temporarily or permanently. You know, it's like, wow, what a wild, hairy experience to come away from. I mean, maybe it brings you down and then maybe you're just like, ah, oh, this was too, too traumatic. It, you know, the existential horror got mm -hmm. to the characters. But you could also just look at it and be like, phew, like, well, Frank, like, I'll see you on the other side, you know, and have those kind of <laughs> dramatic, almost cliche movie moments. Um, that are just too heartwarming to ignore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's good. I mean, it does feel a little bit like it's been sort of shoehorned in because you're before then you're a, are you at Yoth or you're at Yoth afterwards? I mean, it sort of happens. It's that's the right. Of the elders, yeah. I think you're that's like on right. the way. That's right, because Alejandro is like seize them something mm -hmm. like that he, he he turns turns bad doesn't he so uh mm -hmm. yeah because then then that's that's the that's the twist right he's actually he's one of them <laughs> <laughs> he's taken over their mind ah it's like goes body um, snatchers for a moment yeah 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 exactly exactly yeah 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 and i i, I mean the end bit for me was quite amazing because the way I read it anyway is that ultimately a path is chosen, the Brotherhood or uh, Velusia comes back, right? You kind of have these c competing timelines and you can end up in one of those places, sort of happy days. Mm -hmm. But ultimately then you're back in the past and so time will come round again where investigators go back into the jungle and do it again. So unless you actually break this sort of cycle, it, it is kind of yeah. destined to keep going again and again and again, unless you choose the one path that stops the cycle of time forever, right? That's the other sort of epic aspect of the story, which is quite amazing, <laughs> which was lost on me when I played it as well. Well, I never got to the end, so I, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. The run that Tom and I made, uh, we actually did do that bonus scenario. and. Mm -hmm. Um, we we actually beat the campaign like for reals, which was uh, our our now most precious moment, I think, in mm -hmm. all of Arkham. I have to share the story just because wow. I just I have to share it every time. It was just it was the best moment I've ever had in Arkham, where I was playing Mandy and I was you know the research librarian type of character, and he was Rita. And we get to the end, and Yig shows up. And, you know, he's expected to do all of the fighting. So I'm just there just trying to keep busy and stay alive. And then at some point I play the stars are right. And at some point he plays uh, it's that card that lets you like tutor up cards from your discard pile. I forget which one it was. But basically, like all of these cards had to come in a line in exactly the right way so that he had four actions his turn. And then he hits Yig like three times with like the bow or something like that. And then he he stops and he goes, OK, uh, can, can you attack Yig? And I was like, what? <laughs> he's like, I, I just I just need you to punch Yig. I was like, with my 
one fist i can't do that and it was like this moment in a movie where it was like i need you to do this and then my character was like i can't i'm just a researcher <laughs> like i'm gonna dive <laughs> get into this moment and he's like i i can help you like we can do this i'm like i can't he's like believe in yourself and then uh it passes to my turn and he's like, well, why don't you draw a couple cards first? Because we're only going to get one shot at this. I'm like, oh, OK, so I draw a card. I'm like, he's like, is that helpful? It's not. Draw another one. I draw another one. Not helpful. And so then I'm like, I guess I'll punch him. And then he commits brute force to the test. I'm like, OK, so that puts me like basically like even or one up, I think it was. And then we pull the token and it's like a minus one or something. And then he plays. Lucky level three gives me plus three to the test. I succeed by two or more and deal three damage and kill him, wow. which is like just enough. And we wow. were just we just lost it. We were crying. We were laughing wow. so hard for like an That's hour awesome. over that because wow. I just I was so shocked that he had that and like to see like all of the steps that took to get there. I was like, oh my goodness, yeah, that yeah, wouldn't yeah. have happened if I hadn't played Stars or Right and if you hadn't drawn it and if this hadn't <laughs> happened. If that it was just so many events. But I guess oh, that's, that's kind of like the timeline to finally like seal it away. Yep. I think I think Forgotten Age is full of wonderful little moments like that. I think it's a yeah. campaign that you can't come away with without at least one or two good stories somewhere along the way. It's um it hasn't been it hasn't been recreated since. It is very unique. It seems unlikely it will be. I'm not, I don't see any I don't see it coming back. And I think uh, for those who've tried it, I, I think as a blind run, it's rough, right? For yes. a blind run, it's always going to be rough. I yeah. think if someone's going to do a blind run, I'd probably say do the blind run and then play it again. I think first run is is going to be rough no matter what. But if you kind of expect that, I think you go in with a different kind of, you know, you, you if you know your social norms are going to be violated by this <laughs> campaign, you're probably going to have a better go at it, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, I think so. And I don't think, I don't know, I've never played it true solo. I can't imagine playing it true solo. <laughs> uh, that would be just... For my blind playthrough, I actually took Calvin to his oh. Avocado Age. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and amazingly, I managed to beat it. He Whoa. was like a superhero <laughs> by the end of that campaign due to all the trauma that was on him. But amazingly, I got the resolution that caused you to take a trauma at the end, which actually killed him. Oh. So uh, I've got great fond memories. That's commendable. I man, that's that is quite the achievement. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. I definitely died as uh, Ursula on the depths of Yoth and the chasm where hmm. I I took the test and I forgot that it was like agility. I think is first, and I failed that, and that was my good stat. And then I was like, oh no, shoot! I needed to make sure I passed that. Why didn't I commit something? And then I had to test the other two, and I was like, oh no, like now it's the fight test. I definitely can't do that. Yeah. And so she was just slipping and slipping, and then it, it was kind of disheartening, but it's also like it's now one of the many unique resolutions I've had with that campaign. It just, it just does, it doesn't seem like I get to the end and just go, huh, that was another Forgotten Age run. It's always like, oh, that was this particular run. And you have like a really strong memory association with it. Yes. I think I played Ursula true solo trying to get through it the first time i played it because i kept failing the scenarios i wasn't getting anywhere and i didn't know what the hell was going on like i'm thinking what's where's this story going because i kept failing of course my my sort of and, and because it was a blind run through 
from memory, I think I made it as far as the depths of Yoth and then died. And I was like, what the hell? It's like the it felt like the worst written story ever of somebody who just kept failing at each stage, <laughs> had no idea what they were doing, why they were there, or what was going on. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just like, I was just like, and I remember that first time going, I'm not going to play this again. It's terrible. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> I think the fantasy that it's like a Indiana Jones-esque campaign is mm. not lost on anyone. And it's rough, you know, but you, you're you that allure, that fantasy is just so strong. You're just like, oh, man, another visit to the jungle. Sure, I'm I'm down for one of those. Yeah, yeah. I think the thinking about the return to, I was surprised because I, um, I thought they would nerf it. So this is the other thing. I thought they're going to nerf this so hard in the return to. And they don't, uh, which is good. That's really good. And the couple mm-hmm. of things they did do, I think the big thing for me was making the supplies more relevant was great. I think that was a really good step because now there's a whole lot of um, location cards that say if you've got this, if you've got that, if you've got the pickaxe, you got this, you got that. There's all these little buffs or tweaks or little positive things you get so they made the supplies a lot more relevant so you weren't just and that was a really nice that was a really great addition that i think they made through the return to obviously the other big change was the change to the explore mechanic where um, the explore deck didn't start with treacheries in and then they got added in as you successfully explored rather than the other way around i actually uh like how the explorer works in the original though and like tom and i were discussing that like the reason why we prefer the original format is that there's a set number of treacheries in the explorer deck and after you clear one of those treacheries it kind of is like okay that part of that jungle we've seen and we had to get through it in fact like usually i think in our last campaign i was just checking the map and i was leo as the guardian and so i checked the map and then if i couldn't get tom like a good location to go to i would just put the treachery that i could handle on top and then my next action would be to explore and deal with that treachery so i could kind of chip away at them and each one that you get rid of is like okay that we are making progress it doesn't feel great but it's like i'm clearing out this pathway to get to a certain area when i went through it on the return to in solo it was like uh, this is the thing where it's going to make it it's going to disincentivize me to explore because it's going to keep filling it with treacheries and at some point it's going to really pressure me to just be satisfied with what i have and resign and i don't know i like the challenge i like the challenge of like i want to keep exploring and get as much as i can but if you're just going to throw more treacheries in there then i'm like my incentive is like uh that's kind of hurting my pressure to go and do that i think that though to like compensate with it the idea that the other uh, supplies you take are more valuable kind of synergizes with the return to because in the base version you know the map is incredibly valuable so that way you can mm-hmm. micromanage like what you get and win in the exploration deck but like the pickaxe is far less valuable as a result and so like trying to make the pickaxe more valuable makes a lot of sense and I think maybe a part of that was to also make the map a little less valuable, maybe. Um, yeah. Plus, you can take the map around with you rather than having to go back to camp to look at the map. We were joking, weren't we, Kevling, that they'd super glued it to the table or something because you, you can only look at the map. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you could roll it up? What? Yeah, wow, who'd have thought? Oh, my goodness. 
<laughs> the one mm -hmm. the one big change they made was you don't have to do the return to the heart of the elders part one over and over again that that was a good idea that, that i mean i i think that yes. was yes <laughs> you pay for it though but yeah i think i think i tried it three or four times once you know over and over and over again that was just oh, just and it's boring having to keep doing it it's like oh <laughs> like that's kind of the hazards when you experiment or you're trying to do something mm. really new and novel is that inevitably something just isn't quite gonna land and that's where like yeah it's I, it's like i'm almost glad that heart of the elders exists as it does just because it's a demonstration that like it's almost like to have a, i guess a more measured response to that because i think sometimes like there needs to be that balancing act if you're just like i'm just experimenting just to experiment and experiment and experiment it's makes things so strange and so just unintuitive at some point that they just fail to become and be enjoyable but if you don't have any experimentation then it's just the same humdrum activity same over thing. and over and so like finding that proper balance like i'd rather them go too far and i think i think we're all kind of in agreement there and it's it's a shame that heart of the elders doesn't work in a kind of satisfying way but it's like i i'd still take it if it means the rest of the campaign gets to be as good as it is yeah and it's it, it's interesting isn't it because in a video game that happens all the time you redo a level you don't quite mm -hmm. get it right you, you redo it again and again and again you don't think twice about that so much in a video game but in a board game and this is what i read about dark souls the board game is they try to make it too much like the video game and there's too much repetition doing the same thing over and over mm -hmm. again and when it comes to board games that just doesn't work you know in the way it that it does to. in video games no yeah. um i'm not sure why to like experiment with designing something that's meant to be redundant like that because yeah it just seems like every time like that's a great example of the dark souls board game is that it has that impression of being like oh, it just feels like i'm doing the same thing over and over and over and it doesn't feel good like it does in dark souls exactly and i wonder about the heart of the elders part one i think we said didn't we kevling that we were saying do you really need it like couldn't you just have one scenario where part of it is getting through to the part two without like it seems strange that they made it two separate kind of parts of you know it's essentially two scenarios in one right but it feels over labored that you've just got to kind of solve the puzzles of the, the, the pillars to get through to the, the 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 second bit and it feels like they could have just put it into one thing rather than making it two separate things i don't know it feel, felt a bit over over labored as well unnecessarily so i'm not sure why that they felt they needed to to do it that way but yeah Yes, it's another example of trying to do something different, isn't it? It's sort of like a two scenarios in one, whereas yeah. one's the gateway to the other. I agree. I mean, nothing ventured, nothing gained, I guess. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, easy for us to say. <laughs> That's right. And of course, there's no, there's no Arkham Horror, the card game police watching you while you play, so you could just go up like a random music and go to the next bit anyway. <laughs> Because I played the, I got the age with my kids, and I think we replayed the first scenario three times because we kept failing the parley test with Ishtaka, and they were very disappointed with that. So we're like, ah, well, let's just do it again. So <laughs> don't tell anybody. <laughs> uh, Not to use that quote that's been done to death, but it is in a, in a sense kind of like Dark Souls, where that game was very much about you get put through these trials and sometimes it was intentional design and other times it was just kind of a janky game and so it just felt that way because it was janky 
And I don't know, but anybody who's like played Dark Souls, I think has come away from it feeling like it was well worth the investment in the end, even though like, you know, it's like it's flaws become those charming things that you remember fondly just because it was so quirky and different that it's like, oh, I can't. And it's like, again, you get that memory attached to it. and You can't argue with memory. Yeah. And I think that aesthetic has become more acceptable. So I've noticed that a lot of mm. games, board games, video games, are kind of okay with being quite difficult. I mean, The Forgotten Age, how long ago did that come out now? Five years ago or something like that. I feel that that aesthetic of difficulty and being okay with difficulty is much more acceptable to become that way because like you say the payoff as long as there's a payoff right as yeah. long as the effort that you put in and i think for me the problem with the forgotten age is you just don't get enough xp for your effort and i know you can optimize it and you can do that <laughs> but for, for your average you player I think, yeah I, I think if you make it through a scenario and you get some trauma i think it should be Particularly when you compare it to other campaigns, you know, in the Arkham Horror world, it could be a bit less stingy with the XP, I think. Because that idea that if you really struggle hard, you learn and you learn a lot from the struggle. You know, the bigger the struggle, mm -hmm. the bigger the, the, the learning process. Yeah. The Forgotten Age doesn't quite do that to you you don't quite get back what you put in from that sort of effort if that makes makes sense yeah I, I, yeah i agree with that on some level i feel like i think i always take binoculars so i'm always that because that gives you an extra like four xp throughout the whole campaign and like two of it is right after that first scenario right. which is like a really strong reason to take that for one of your supplies but maybe it's too strong of a reason and it kind of yeah i mean there's the classic thing it happens all the time you have learned stuff about the mythos here's an extra bonus whatever that kind well, yeah because it's emulating like tabletop role-playing kind of ideas you learn something yeah, new about yeah. the world and then you get a reward for it yeah yeah okay that's really good those are really good conversations that's awesome what would you guys say is your favorite scenario in this campaign Ooh. Ooh. I'll go first, shall I? Um, is it really cliched of me to say Threads of Fate? Is that the obvious answer? Someone's got to say Threads of Fate. <laughs> oh, I love Threads of Fate. <sighs> I guess it's back to them doing something new again, isn't it? In this campaign, it's the first scenario with multiple act decks. It almost makes the game feel a little bit open world where you can go anywhere and do anything and choose which avenues of exploration you're going to follow. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it. it I, I love it. It's great. And then in the in the return to, they give you an extra, an extra one. It's like, yay, more! Come on. <laughs> hey, maybe maybe that's a maybe that's a homebrew idea, Kevling, is to take Threads of Fate and just add more and more scenarios to it till it's like Skyrim <laughs> or something. <laughs> maybe an AI could tackle it. I reckon an AI could do that. <laughs> Yeah, it's a standout scenario, isn't it? It's yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's definitely my my favorite. Absolutely. How about you, Leroy? Uh, I think I would have to go with Depths of Yaw for my favorite one. Um, I really like like that's a an instance where you can see the repetition done in a way that actually feels really enjoyable. And that the chaos bag is getting harder the deeper you go, mm -hmm. and the enemies are you know they're amassing and yep. you're going through the same locations and you're learning those locations but there's always like a hint of mystery because there's always one card that's removed that you're not sure about 
And so then you're like playing this guessing game in your head, like, well, I think I can chance this, or I think I can risk that. Or in a lot of cases, it's I have to risk this or chance this because there's just no other alternative. I actually had an idea for getting multiple copies of that scenario and then doing mm-hmm. like one of those uh, epic multiplayer games mm. with arkham because i think that one would actually apply pretty well to it because it's just as low as you can go and you make it infinite and mm. um things just forget progressively harder and then you would add i don't know you could start adding enemies from other encounter sets across different campaigns or other like eldritch abomination monsters to show up like later and just to see like who can mm. get the furthest and that's like your goal at, at your table is to try to get down as further than anybody else Maybe one has mm. like frost tokens in it and it starts to get snowy. I don't know. It just seemed like a fun kind of like, okay, mm. your table is going to have this weird mechanic. Your table is going to have a, mm. a different weird mechanic. And yeah, it seems like a fun time. I, I'd recommend maybe give it a shot. I've not done it yet myself. Mm. I don't have enough people who'd be interested to play the game uh, mm. that scale, but I think it would be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. That would be cool. You've actually sparked an idea. I, I just thought you could take the playing board of arkham horror the board game um second edition and you could turn it into an epic multiplayer where instead of people on separate tables you just have this great big thing in the middle of the table and you have how many threads eight ten twelve twenty threads of fate all you know all designed off the uh, off the arkham arkham map and everybody playing you know you could have like up to 20 people all playing and trying to kind of solve all of the uh the threads as a sort of an epic multiplayer yeah that'd be great (laughs) i mean these are the things that would be like i don't even know how much fun they would be in practice but they would definitely be worth a try it would definitely be worth trying just to kind of see the game perform in that format yeah because when i play the epic multiplayer the thing i don't like about them is everyone's at their own little tables doing their own little thing Mm-hmm. But imagine one where you've just got a great big ass table in the middle of the room with this great <laughs> big board, and everybody's like around all doing their thing. It's really mm-hmm. cha- very chaotic, but uh, never mind. What's your least favorite, Kevling? What's your what's your oh, least favorite? Hold on, favorite you're not off the hook. Oh. You got it. What's your favorite? <laughs> Grab it my my you favorite. Pick, yeah, you got to oh, pick your I, favorite. <laughs> like oh, I, threads of fate. I was I was saying threads of oh, fate. Oh, you're in that camp. If I'm not, if I'm yeah, I'm in that camp. I'm in the th- I'm the, I'm a threads of fate <laughs> all the way. Um, if if I wasn't choosing threads of fate, I don't know. Um, I think I like the Doom of Etsley because back to that Indiana Jones thing. You've made it to the temple. Yeah. You're stepping inside and. You know, you know, you know, bad shit's going to go down. (laughs) You know, but you kind of go inside anyway, right? And I really like that. I like that idea, like from the very first picture, it's like them on the threshold walking into the temple, you know. So I think I like that scenario because, again, it's it's pretty punishing, but thematically it's great that you know that you you, and it is very indiana jones right because there's this thing this glowing thing at the end that you've got to pick up and then run back out again with which is (laughs) uh, yeah i like that that's great i was just gonna say my sisters won't let me off the hook if she ever hears this so her favorite is city of archives for the memories of us being youthians and trying to converse Uh, yes and just i think for her that because she doesn't like the game i think quite as much as like myself and many other fans but she says that she will always play that scenario because it just kind of shocked her so much that it was so different 
He was like, wow, this is crazy. I love that it just took a chance to make me a Yithian and told me to deal with that problem. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the return to is nice, right? Because it just adds an extra wing to the to the map, right? It just adds a mm-hmm. bit, of extra, bit, bit extra. Yeah, previously it was restricted. Now it's unrestricted access. <laughs> the unrestricted, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, which one do we like the least? Uh, are we all just going to say Heart of the Elders and go up there? <laughs> I mean, maybe you could swing for Boundary Beyond just because that one is so hard. Like, that scenario is just... A, it feels like going up the steepest hill in the universe. Um, but I don't actually hate that one. I don't, like, hate playing it. It's just like, oof, I'm really working my heart out to beat this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well yeah, yeah. And, and it's like the Midnight Mask in the sense that it's designed that you're not going to it all yeah. right it's kind of deliberately tough like that and yeah it does that thing where it kind of undoes your progress a little bit mm-hmm. and i think that at least for me on a personal level i don't like that design ethos for arkham horror or like in general for board games mm-hmm. like undoing like my progress really hurts because i don't know it's it's a lot of effort to like set up the game and to play and to dedicate the time and then to make sure you're yes. focused and go through all that so when the game says like well i'm just gonna take what you did and undo it like, I would rather you just beat me up or, like, kill my investigator <laughs> yeah, or do something yeah, yeah. like that or make me, yeah, like, a yeah, weird yeah, yeah. Don't, like, yeah. take away the thing that I was I had worked so yes. hard to achieve. Like, if I got the achieve. clues off the location, I got that location's BP. Leave me alone. Like, you shouldn't yeah, yeah, yeah. cross yeah. that boundary. But it's yes. a boundary beyond. There you yes. Go. <laughs> yeah, it does. Look, yeah. And then I struggle with the names. Not being very uh, used to South American, Central American stuff. It's like... Oh, how do you say this one again? Oh my goodness! <laughs> when we did the podcast on that one, I had them phonetically on little bits of paper so I could say them. Zika Milko Park. See, I can't even remember them now. <laughs> uh, yeah, it gets pretty wild. Cool. So you guys are in agreement that Heart of the Elders, though, is ultimately the worst. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's not fun. Yeah, and the original game one is just having to redo it like the thought of having to redo it over and over again it's just like it doesn't even let you fail just fail it <laughs> and let me move on right let me resign let me fail it doesn't let you do that right you have to do it again and again and again and yeah, again it's pretty mean <laughs> yeah it is very mean and a bit like you say you know it's like all right beat me up you know let me fail it something <laughs> You know, playing that scenario, I will say the last time Tom and I went through it for Harlan, we actually did have fun playing that scenario. We were both just shocked at how much fun we were having playing through Heart of the Elders, both parts of it. And I think it was because because it was digital, we could do a run and Uh, then reset it real quick and then we could try again and then do it again. And so in the physical cards, it's a little Mm. like you got to reshuffle your decks. You have to reset up the map. There's just kind of and you got to double check to make sure you did everything right. So I think that is that component of the game that kind of hurts your spirits because you're supposed to just kind of keep going, which is what Depths Mm. of the Goth does. Just keep playing. But Mm. this one is like reset everything and then you get to keep playing. So it adds this interlude that Mm. you just don't want to experience and it just kind of kills the momentum you were building and the investment you had. You know, conceivably, some people could end up doing it three, four. And and again, just thinking of, you know, if you get together with people, you usually typically have two or three hours, three to four hours. So Mm. you could literally end up going round and round and, and, and not have it resolved within a sitting 
and have to come and take photos of everything. And oh, I mean, that was like what happened with Scarlet Keys, constantly taking photos of things because, you know, we, we take an hour and a half or two hours sometimes to get to a scenario and then you'd start the scenario and then you'd be working and then it'd be like, oh, what? <laughs> oh, and then you're taking photos of everything and then next time you come back, you're trying to remember. It's just, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not respectful of, I guess, of people's real world. Like you say, it's digital, it's different, but people's real world lives and yeah. the, the time. So now we come to the part where uh, I am amazed. I put a post up on Reddit uh, saying we were going to record this session. Did anybody have any thoughts about the Forgotten Age? And I did say we would read out their responses. Well, 20 responses later, (laughs) we got a ton of responses through Reddit. So I'm so appreciative of all the people who took the time to share their thoughts. And it's interesting because there's quite a variation in the thoughts about the forgotten age so what i thought we would do is basically read through them i think you know they're all interesting uh and just take them one at a time each and and just go through them through them all and uh, hear what people have to say so um do you want to kick us off kegbling or so yes our first one is from Five Argon or Sargon is that supposed to be yeah who knows (laughs) i'm a new format player so it was a pretty recent impression the absurdness of it all, minus five, trauma, second <laughs> scenario, replay, poison, supplies, etc. Yet the investigator still marches on, even with some new members filling in, makes an unforgettable adventure. The campaign is also smart in ordering scenarios like that. I feel like one before the other felt significantly different and fresh, subverting expectation that it had always be in the jungle and the ruins. Yeah, and, and I think that point about if nothing else, even if you don't like Forgotten Age, it's not something you're going to forget. Ironically, <laughs> you're not going to forget the Forgotten Age <laughs> because it will leave an impression like a punch in the face. You're not going to forget that anytime soon. So uh, I think, uh, you know, that's a really uh, good we're point. Up, so we're up two puns now with Forgotten Age <laughs> titles. Uh, shall I read the next one? Uh, this is from uh, Trey E4, I believe. Uh, I started playing while the Circle Undone was finishing releasing, and I played in campaign order. So I wasn't there when it came out, but I played it not long after. It wrecked me. I'd failed my first playthroughs of Dunwich and Carcosa, so I didn't go in expecting to win, but I definitely got my ass handed to me. It was frustrating at times. I didn't like the ways the Explore deck could punish you right from the start. I didn't build my deck to deal with the trauma and hurt the campaign dished out, and I absolutely hated the Boundary Beyond. (laughs) But there were things I found fun and things I appreciated too. I loved that it was doing something new. I really liked the different paths you could take and how it affected things. And damn, I wanted to win. It still holds the record for most attempts I had to make before I won. I bashed my head against that campaign so many times. I think I finally won with a Finn slash Ursula smash and grab duo. It definitely wasn't... <laughs> That's that sounds awesome. It definitely wasn't my favorite campaign by a long shot. That went to Carcosa, and Forgotten Age would have fallen at the bottom, I'm pretty sure. But over time, that changed. I kept coming back to the campaign to get a challenge or to experience different options, and now it's my favorite campaign. It's also the campaign that taught me to stop fearing trauma. You definitely learn that you can get battered throughout a campaign and keep going. Mm. It sounds very reminiscent of, like, a lot of Dark Souls experiences as well. Maybe that's partly (laughs) why I love this campaign, too. It's just that experience of overcoming an obstacle, I think, is just really impactful for us as humans yeah 
Yeah, exactly. And it makes for a great story, doesn't it? You know, I, I so relate to it. You get wrecked and you keep coming back and then you sort of overcome everything and it's that kind of payoff that you get from trying again and again and again. So, uh, yeah, I really relate to, relate to that. So uh, I think a little bit like, I think I read the stats for Dark Souls that some like 70 or 80% of people never get past the first level. <laughs> and so that's the thing with Forgotten Age. I think a lot of people probably never get past first couple of scenarios, yeah. you know what I mean? Or they don't really get very far into it and just kind of give up and don't go back, which is a pity because um, yeah. I've certainly come to a, pre a, a bit like um, Trey 4 here. I've, I've certainly come to appreciate it a lot more than I used to. So mm. Yeah, the other thing I should say is I've I've edited, judiciously edited some of these, so I do apologise if we've cut some things out, but we were just doing that for brevity. So, uh, yeah, but, yeah, great, great story of, of, of sort of conversion from most hated to most loved. There we go. Um, I've got one here from Snowbow92. Wow, I'm super excited to hear this. Flavor Text is one of my favorite podcasts. So it's great to know there's another episode coming. Oh, thanks, Snowbow92. That's so nice to hear. There you go, Kevling. People really are listening to the podcast. It's so awesome to get that feedback. That's great. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's also super thematic because I'm starting my first in real life solo campaign in like a year today. And I picked to go through TFA. Here's my thoughts about the campaign. As someone who mains killer guardians, the vengeance points are somewhat frustrating. That mechanic mostly hamstrings certain investigator archetypes. I recognize that every campaign should feel unique and cater to something different, but it still stinks that it's the deck type I enjoy most. As infamous as Boundary Beyond is, this scenario was pretty annoying, especially in regards to its resolution. I don't remember having a resign option and the victory condition is really different difficult and true solo, so I was really forced to just grind through the doom clock. At some point it became something I realised I could do. It was just tedious. Despite these criticisms, I still really like this campaign. The story works, the scenarios each try new things with the mechanics and the characters are memorable. The investigator cards open up some new archetypes, which was neat, and I really enjoyed the way they tied the faction alliances in with the tokens in the chaos bag. Overall, not as good as Carcosa, but still leagues better than Dunwich. I think Snowbow92 just touches on something there we didn't talk about, which is the vengeance points, because mm. the game kind of wants you to play pacifist because you do get punished pretty hard for killing stuff. Or if you blow up the occasional temple. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, didn't that bite us on the ass a bit later? Oh, my goodness, 26 vengeance points or something. Yeah. Um, you could argue that if you have a high, um, what's the word, you know, they've got high agility so they can basically avoid any combat, you'd do a lot better, wouldn't you? Yeah, but I don't know. At least in solo, every time I play that style, which is mm. most approaches through this campaign, there's always yeah. that moment where you just have mm. to buckle down and take care of an enemy or two. And they're usually ones yeah. that don't have vengeance. Um, so you don't feel quite as bad about it, but mm. they just, they can, if they stack up too many, then yeah, you, it really needs to be addressed. I do think though, avoiding vengeance at all costs is a very important strategy for getting through TFA. If you keep your yeah. vengeance very, very low, that yeah. will help you because the, Enemies get stronger with high vengeance, and the chaos bag gets harder with high vengeance, and so it'll it's essentially sh slowly shutting you down from being able to continue. So 
Yeah. That's like kind of one of the chief priorities that I make to, to get through that campaign. I did do Monterey Jack actually for the return to and solo, and it was specifically pacifist, so I wasn't allowed mm. to kill anything. Um, right. And I made it through to the end without doing it. I did have to damage a few enemies a few times with my whip, you know, just to get them mm -hmm. to back off. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it can be done. But I, I mean, Monterey Jack just moves so fast and I tried to build as broken of a deck as I could just because I never play those. And so I thought I would treat myself and see what all the fuss was about. So I threw in all those ridiculous secret cards just to see what would happen. And yeah, I mean, it's possible, but I was playing it with the broken deck. So I don't know how possible mm. it really is. I just had this thought, if I play again, I'm going to two-hand it with Leo and Charlie, and we're going to have charisma, and we're going to have so many people. With, we'll be an army of people treading through the jungle, just like awesome. taking everything on. With <laughs> Genbo regard and, and, and the you know, beat cop and dogs and sled dogs and everything. They're taking sled dogs into the jungle. I mean, just a whole lot, you know, it's like this whole menagerie of allies just sort of. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there we go. Okay. So I'll read the next one yeah. out then. I've got one from Beeping Slag 42. <laughs> this was the campaign that got me hooked on Arkham and is still my favourite to this day. I love the explore mechanic. It perfectly captures the feeling of treading through an unknown jungle, the way it just flings trauma at you in a way that is completely unavoidable was shocking at first. I'd learned in Corcosa to avoid it at all costs, and now I was loaded with it. It loads so many decisions into its text, and I think future scenarios should remember what was so good about it. Interludes shouldn't just be walls of text and rewards and punishments. They should be full of choices. It keeps you reading instead of just skipping to find out what you need to do. The City of Elders was absolutely the highlight for me. It's so fresh and fun mechanically, and so shocking story-wise after trekking through the jungle. It breathes life into the campaign right when it's in danger of getting stale. I remember being absolutely floored by the change in the story my first playthrough. And to top everything off, there's that pesky little envelope tucked in the back taunting you, teasing you, saying, Good job! You finally beat the campaign. But did you really? By far my most played campaign, mostly because I had to try over and over again to get the best resolution. Absolutely incredible. And I think the peak of Arkham Horror. Are there flaws you can find? Of course there are. But it's still my favourite play experience to date. A big fan. I really like that. That's those interludes are great because they are very interactive, aren't they? The you know decisions to be made, and uh, and I think that's a bit of a sly dig at Scarlet Keys. Did I just get a hint of that? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they are great. But yeah, they 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 really were because I remember you and I, Kevling, when we were playing, there was. We were interacting a lot, talking about those interludes, right, and what we were doing, and uh, really well done, I think. Yeah, they really work really well. I think I have one over here with uh, by um, Le Monde, I think is how you say it. I just picked it up a month ago. It's the campaign that convinced me to move away from True Solo. I have mixed feelings about it. I don't think it's as difficult as people make it out to be. Obviously, it doesn't work well in True Solo, but it plays fine in Two-Handed. I think it feels more difficult because of the way it dumps trauma on you early on, but it kind of shows you that trauma isn't that big of a deal with each scenario that follows. My biggest issue with it is the way it neuters mobility. Cards and abilities that give you free movement are all but useless because you often can only progress by exploring. 
So cards like Scout Ahead and Shortcut end up getting used as skill card more often than not. Poison is annoying, but I managed to avoid it after the first couple of scenarios. Actually, I think that's another thing that makes it seem more difficult than it actually is because scenario two is itself an extremely tough scenario, but the rest aren't so bad. So you kind of get a bad first impression. The vengeance mechanic is another one. I found the vengeance you accumulate in a scenario is more significant than the vengeance you accumulate over the course of the campaign. I would agree with that. I keep expecting to get hit hard with it, but all the penalties for getting high vengeance when starting a scenario seemed more like minor inconveniences. Yeah, that's interesting point about the explore mechanic kind of making cards like Scout Ahead and Shortcut and Pathfinder and those sorts of things kind of sort of nerf, still nerfs in, like, them. the Arkham scenarios, though. Mm. Oh, yeah, they're, that's true. It's just like they're not the kind of thing you can throw down turn one and have it start pulling mm. weight right away. They become delayed cards yeah or like not useful at all i still take them usually or you know the equivalents of them but yeah yeah they definitely take on a new form and almost like kind of nerfs you a little bit in that space sorry remind me monterey jack what what's his what's his special ability or it's not something around movement is it or am i yeah he gets like a card or resource by starting his turn on a different location or by ending his turn on a location other than what he started in so the right. extra movement. Yeah, he's he's like a jackrabbit. You have to just be moving even yeah. if you have no reason to move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so he gets benefits a bit like Ursula, but so exploring for him's good, right? It's uh it's mm-hmm. a, it's a benefit. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't know how to say some of these. I'm so st- sorry. Strid sixy something. This is the first full campaign that I purchased and played through after the Night of the Zealot. Wow. Mostly since I could track down all of the Mythos packs at once. Honestly, after getting wrecked by Night of the Zealot, this campaign felt pretty par for the course. My first time playing the Untamed Wilds, I had one action left, two clues remaining, and a copy of Drawn to the Flame. I think that's when I grew to love, hate, ancient evils. (laughs) That pretty much sums up how I remember the rest of the campaign going gameplay-wise. This is one of my favorite campaigns. The setting, explore mechanic, and difficulty level all make for a challenge that I've only ever won once and still haven't successfully forged my own path yet after about six playthroughs. So, yeah, yeah, somebody's still playing. This is the thing. It seems to have a really high replayability level compared to some of the others, so... Next piece of feedback I have is from, difficult to read this one, David Ryan Anderson. (laughs) (laughs) The Forgotten Age delivers such specific kinds of challenges that it's a lot of fun to come back to and try and build for it. But even on the blind run, we had some real face plants. But that just made the victory at the end that much sweeter. I have a real soft spot for this one. You know, I love watching um, people play dark souls blind and just getting wrecked i'd love to play mm-hmm. watch people playing the forgotten age blind and getting absolutely wrecked that would be so that would be so entertaining <laughs> that would be great yeah i would watch that to see their reactions oh man <laughs> resuscitate all your initial memories of oh yes that's what it felt like <laughs> yeah so do the gathering once okay cool now do the forgotten age <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> Here's one from Weird Dud. I think all around it's my favorite campaign, even in its vanilla form, although Return to the Forgotten Age adds lots of great things. Trauma prior to the Forgotten Age felt really, really bad, since it was a result of personal failure, being defeated by damage or horror, or very specific campaign moments like the Essex County Express engine car. 
Having all of that trauma from not taking certain supplies felt bad initially. Poison a little less so since you had to earn that weakness somehow. When we were planning our second or third playthrough, somebody brought up that supplies were essentially a choice between avoiding trauma, getting more experience, or directly getting certain benefits in a scenario, like the torches in Doom of Edsley. The next obvious step was, what if we just take all of the non-trauma preventing supplies? We achieved extremely high experience decks, 60 range, one pushing 80 with Charon's Oval, somewhere around 6-7 to seven combined trauma each. Yig's Fury somewhere in the early to mid-teens, and it was really fun. Thanks to TFA, trauma in other campaigns has felt like a non-issue, most of the time. As far as Return to is concerned, major highlights for me are Snake Pit. Uh, yes, Snake Pit's awesome. <laughs> Revamp, yeah, layout and, <laughs> Revamp layout and Doom of Etsy, Jungle location variation, the new discoverable supplies, Cult and Venom replacement sets. Yeah, it feels very Indiana Jones, that snake pit. It's it's mm. really good, right? It seems like it's, because I, I, what he's saying about like a 60 XP deck, that's pretty much what I think Tom and I had in that run mm. where we succeeded really well. And like, yeah, mm. I had delved too deep, but that was about it. And I think I phased it out after like maybe three-ish scenarios or something like that. So yeah, I wonder if like there's quite a bit of variance there and... It seems, I don't know if it always correlates with like how successful your campaign is. I mean, it certainly helps, but hmm. it's just interesting that the campaign can give you a lot. I, I mean, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is when you play it, it's not immediately apparent how well you can do to the player. Uh, I think you're initially brought up thinking, this is so hard, it's trying to kill me. And mm -hmm. as you play it again, you start to think, like, I feel like I could do better at that. And then when you play it again, you realize you can. And then you can. Mm start to performing at like a really high level with it and then it becomes really satisfying because you've kind of conquered the jungle yeah yeah and it's interesting this idea of does that mean they were taking the trauma preventing supplies or avoiding the trauma so i'm not I think sure they're avoiding it to get all the things that right. would benefit them in Benefits. the scenario and the things that would yeah. get them xp so that yeah, way they yeah. would just right. accept that they were going to get trauma so no blankets <clears throat> you know nothing yeah, yeah, that would yeah yeah protect you yeah. there and then as a result they just played like strong decks it sounds like and yeah. they were like physically like didn't have a lot of damage or horror or sanity to work with is the mm. impression i'm getting but it kind of didn't matter because they were able to build really competent decks and kind of circumvent it that way yeah yeah they do that thing in the return to where you can use xp for just supplies don't they so there's this one bit from memory where it's in an interlude it says well you can have this extra but you can only mm. use it to spend on um supplies mm. and sort of help people sort of boost up their supplies so yeah curves krv Sunco, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce that one. As another new player going through the re-release order, TFA was a blast. It changed gears immediately. No more faffing around like in early Carco's scenarios, and our group really liked it. This is exactly what was needed to keep the game fresh, even if we got massacred in both of the first two scenarios. I'm surprised that people say the return to is a must. It might smooth out some rough edges, but as a first-time player, it's been a blast. I can only imagine what going back, knowing what to expect will be a great puzzle to solve yeah so there's someone with i think you've got to go in with if you had going in the right mindset i think mm -hmm. um it, it's fine right yeah yeah it certainly hits hard right from the start next piece of feedback is from rary caris my blind run of it 
is my least favourite adventure I've done so far. Quite often it felt like we were just getting BS'd to death in ways that we couldn't prevent. Shout out to the adventure where we got table wiped in two rounds entirely from unblockable damage. The one and only time so far I've just gone home early from an Arkham Horror session. Oh. We figured out fairly quickly that getting poisoned was something we absolutely had to avoid at all costs, to the point that we decided getting poisoned after the last supply run made it worth retiring your character, even though it meant losing your XP. The adventure in the alien base was a lot of fun and very memorable, but straight up losing your investigator ability and stats permanently is a really harsh penalty for a bad dice roll, even if you successfully do the mission. We did win first time, so I get the idea it's meant to be a meat grinder campaign balanced on the assumption you'll die at least once. Not personally a fan of that style of gameplay, nor the fact that most of the investigators for that campaign felt very uninspired in their design and aimed at power gamers. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does polarise. I, I, I don't think it's a campaign for everybody. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate that, that it's, it is rough going. You never hear anyone say about TFA. It's all right. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. It's yeah. so Neutral. <laughs> so true. Yeah. yeah. I think, too, something about, I mean, I don't know. He doesn't say specifically, like, what difficulty they played on. But if it is really hard, I might suggest, like, you know, just put, play it on the easy setting with, like, a lighter chaos bag. And I know for some people, it's this attitude of like oh you're you're making it um like it can't handle it or something it's like it but you're you're there to have fun like and i i've often told myself that i should do that for this campaign and many others on a blind like just put it on easy because i'll probably have a better time if i feel like i can because i i just really want to learn the game i want to learn the story that first playthrough i don't know why i feel the need to play it on a harder difficulty but for whatever reason i usually just do standard and I don't hmm. tend to mess with it. And it's like, I should, but I kind of have just accepted that, like, the standard is probably what most people are playing. And I guess maybe I like the idea that my experience is going to correlate with everyone else's on some level if I play it that way. I don't know. Finding ways, like, to make it not so, like, egregiously frustrating, I think, is is, is something that we're not, like, used to thinking about a lot when you're in a board game format because you just don't have i mean you have the the rules there you have the options to kind of just make mm. it up but it, it i guess it feels a bit like you're cheating almost as yeah, opposed yeah. to like in a video game if you change the setting it doesn't feel that way it's like oh well that's like built in right here the computer is doing it so i trust that but if you do it yourself it's almost like eh but like the designers told you you could have an easy mode if you wanted and it's not like easy it's not going to make the campaign a breeze it's just going to make it so that you can pass like important tests that you really need to be passing um, yeah so that you yeah. can continue and still have fun yeah that's a, that's a really important point i mean it's not like you you talk about magic the gathering before it's not like it's a competitive game where you're kind of up against somebody and you've got to really stick to the rules and the timings otherwise you know it's not like that it's a cooperative game so you can kind of and i think a lot of people set their own house rules right they have their own kind of rules about doing things and do-overs and all these sorts of things and like you say the primary thing's got to be enjoying it so 
um, you know, even if it's just experiencing the story and things like that. And like you say, there's an easy mode and you can make the easy mode easier if you really want. <laughs> no <laughs> one's going like, to... One token in the bag. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Maybe don't go I mean, that I've... far. I think you won't not have any fun that way either. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I think the one for me was uh, the Unspeakable Oath in Carcosa, which you have to get through or you die. Um, I just redid mm-hmm. it just redid it yeah. i was playing true solo and it doesn't wasn't really it's not really fair on true solo players because it doesn't uh, adjust mm-hmm. number of tasks you've got to do so i just redid it i the do other that way a lot when just, i play yeah. solo as well yeah i just yeah. i'm like i'm not happy with this run of it i feel like it, no. i don't i don't want it to like i want to just try again and i think yeah. that also comes from like the lord of the rings card game where you're meant to like play it multiple times until you find a way to beat it and so i kind right. of just I'm like all right yeah if it seems like it's too harsh i just do another re-roll but yeah, yeah, I I got I also like sympathize with the the feeling that I don't know like it's uh you're you're wanting to play it with what everyone else is experiencing and it just mm. feels like it's so like uh I don't know just just so unforgiving and mm. yeah like you say the mindset I think is a big one. Well, I hope they give it another go and maybe uh, be a little bit easier on themselves and uh, enjoy the story because the story is definitely worth uh, experiencing. Mm-hmm. um in its fullest form so yeah yeah so this one is uh from freewub i believe uh i didn't know your pod existed listen to episode one this am and you've got a new subscriber yeah just played uh <laughs> just played return to shattered aeons last night mateo and kaimani made my first attempt to reach the secret scenario and we both driven insane they were romping through the campaign up until that point so i'm a little disappointed but it was super fun I don't have specific thoughts on TFA besides it's my favorite. I've played it probably five or six times, and the fact that I still haven't reached the ninth scenario has made me always excited to go back. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty impressive um, to have content that a lot of people are just never going to experience. <laughs> like there was content in TFA I've never num never knew about. I didn't even know there was an op that optional extra bit. I didn't know that even existed till I did the podcast because I never got that far. Like, wow, there's a whole lot of content here that I've got I've never experienced and I had no idea about. It. So uh that's kind of awesome to have that hidden away in a game that it's it's there mm-hmm. and one day you might find it kind of thing. It's it's kind of cool. Okay, we got cheesy forever. Not a huge fan. My first time, like most people, was a complete disaster. Whenever I play Arkham with new people, I try to say as little as possible to avoid spoiling it. TFA is the exception. It's so punishing and unenjoyable if you go in blind that I basically hold new players' hands through the deck building and supplies. Also, supplies were poorly implemented, as other people have said. Knowing nothing ahead of time, it's just an RNG check. Did you happen to pick the right supplies? No? Then suck it, loser. On subsequent playthroughs, it's a lot better. Huge fan of the City of Archives, easily one of the most memorable scenarios in any campaign. Overall, I'd rank it second or third from the bottom. Yeah, I, I think that point about new players, I, I, I really, yeah, I don't think it's a, a campaign for, for new players. So uh, even though, you know, I think um, yeah. FFG have now, they've they've sort of put some kind of rating on each scenario, whether it's easy yeah, it's a complexity so, rating, isn't it? Complexity rating. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I I'm think glad that they do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't think this should be a first campaign. Even no. Like, unless oh, the only exception I could say to that rule is if you have a large card pool of player cards. Because I think that will help you then. Because I feel like 
not having a lot of player card options is going to really make this tough and mm. not being super familiar with the game it's just going to be unnecessarily yeah mean but i mean like i i guess it's one of those things where uh you know it's like a cool reward of a campaign to play after you've mm. really familiarized yourself with the game it's something yeah. to like look forward to if you're just getting started just remind me forgotten age are there any other campaigns that are rated as similar complexity was it the insmith or something was up there as well from memory but i remember edge of the earth they said was fairly easy which i was a little bit surprised at because i don't remember it being i could see where they're going easy. with edge of the earth it's less complex rather than easy isn't it uh, uh, Is lower it... complexity or something um, yeah, yeah 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 i'd have to yeah. brush up on that um mm. Draculasers says, this is the first campaign in which a player quit. I don't like the story reasons for the limited supplies. So the funding is so limited we don't even have provisions or sleeping bags. Why are we on this expedition if we can't afford a compass? <laughs> good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. Good point. If the prologue started with an accident on a sinking boat in which we could only grab the closest supplies, it would make much more sense story-wise. Intro 1 for Scenario 2 starts with runners returning with additional supplies. Does that mean we can purchase some supplies as a consolation for failing the first scenario? Of course not, it's just some thematic fluff disconnected from the game itself. I like the supplies in Edge of the Earth way better. The Doom of Etzli is way too swingy. In our first round of our second try, every investigator of our three-player team drew the Elder Thing token, followed by the auto-fail or the minus five. That's three failed actions causing six fewer rounds. We had more knowledge, a plan, great cards in hand, and failed way worse than our first try. Threads of Fate felt like a great scenario, but we lost our main clue finder, so we only started and finished one act. Still, the multiple variable acts feel like the perfect standard for Arkham Horror. Scenario 3 seems like the first scenario in the campaign where success or failure means something significant in respect to the story. Whatever you do in the Untamed Wilds, the Etzley ruins are found. Whatever you do in the Doom of Etzley, the artifact is recovered. I don't know what the consequences of our one finished act and two failed acts will be, but it feels we had more agency in the third scenario. I love Yig and every part of the theme. If this was my first campaign, I would not have continued playing Arkham Horror. Remembering the Reddit post claiming this was the best starter campaign. At the moment, I'm looking forward to the Boundary Beyond with our total of 6 earned XP. But without the highs of the Path to Carcosa and Threads of Fate being very interested, I would have quit the campaign with that other player. Oh boy. Wow. That was rough. I, I take their point about kind of the... I didn't think of it that way, but you know, it makes gameplay sense that you don't get all the supplies you need, but it kind of doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. That was just way too much. That was one step over the budget. <laughs> yeah. And they make it made a good point. Like you could have all the supplies and then, you know, some disaster happens when you get to the jungle and you only, you know, you, you lose, you lose half of it or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it would have been bad for the campaign to have given out a little more supplies like at some point like maybe after that first scenario maybe it does give you two extra supplies and you go okay i can pick up something else and there's this consolation but again i get, I think it also like conflicts with this other mechanical message it wants to convey where it's sort of expecting a specific style of play in order to get through it 
I think, you know, the reward of Forgotten Age that we're kind of talking in and around is this idea that eventually you figure out what the game wants from you and you start playing into that. And then when you clear a scenario in a really big way, it's very impactful. And it's different than, like, for example, in Dunwich, a lot of the mechanics in that campaign is it's discarding your deck. And that just drives me nuts. I still love Dunwich, but that whole system just drives me batty because I built my deck to do a certain thing. And if you're constantly Mm. discarding the cards out of it, I can't make it do what I was trying to do. And so I have Mm. to just kind of fumble around with whatever random hodgepodge of cards I have that don't necessarily work together. And you can't be expected to build a deck where every single card has a synergy with every other card in it. So with Forgotten Age, I think it works for someone like me because it doesn't really tamper with that. It deals me damage and horror and it throws enemies at me. It does all of these things, but it doesn't like tamper with my deck so much. And so I can feel like I have control. That's where my agency comes in. It's like this character is going to do this and it's going to do it really well. And it's going to kind of anticipate these other things coming up. And my strategy is, oh, I don't want vengeance. Or my strategy is like that other person where they were like, we just decided we're going to take the trauma and we're going to go for XP. That will help us in the long run. So, yeah, I think it's kind of like commitment. If you like commit to a particular approach, then TFA will back off and it'll let you have the, the room you need. I'm wondering if they gave you all the supplies, would it make that much difference anyway? I don't know. I mean, they feel like they have a bit of a benefit, but they don't. I sure. think mechanically, maybe not. But there is like a, I guess there's that initial discovery of, oh, I didn't bring this. And so now I can't. Or like, oh, I have that. I can do something here. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Here's one from Bobby Small. The worst campaign by a long margin. We played through the campaigns blind and in order. A new person joined our group at TFA and never played with us again. So (laughs) unpleasant was the experience. Everything about the campaign is bad. The insane difficulty, how random ancient evils uh, allocations can just destroy you. The fact that you are the dedicated bruiser in a four player team, you have little to no function uh, much of the time due to new boring mechanic that punishes you for doing your job. And the story uh, so railroaded. So ineptly written. Our group was yelling, pick the kill itch taka option <laughs> at the player reading out the scenarios from the first time we met her. An option that was never given. It became a running joke. Even the tone changes from Lovecraftian to pulp, which was awful and unexpected. Anyhow, after failing, uh, we moved on and completed all the other campaigns. Now veterans, we thought we would come back and give it another go with all the new cards in our experience. Example given, using Kaimani to remove not but not kill minions. And the return to might make it tolerable? Right. Nope. Still crashed and burned. Still hated the plot. Still hated the gameplay mechanics. Cannot cleanly articulate how strongly I despise TFA. (laughs) That felt a bit toned down to me. I wish they told us what they really thought. Well, I, I get it. it's not for everybody. It's it, it is a quite a polarizing campaign. I I, I think uh, Bobby Small's view on it is is uh, I think a lot of people feel that way about it. Mm. Um, I mean, I even actually agree with Bobby Small in a few respects. Like, I do find Ishtaka very annoying. Anytime <laughs> she shows up, she's scowling or like literally like just like got her arms crossed and she's just like mean. And I'm just like, man, lady, like you need to. Just... <laughs> relax like this is not the end of the world i mean i guess to you it's the end of the world but to me i'm still 
living living life or trying to as best I can. Yeah, I don't know if it's so much like the writing competency in the storytelling. Um, I I think it it does go very pulp, and if you don't like pulp, then that's not going to strike a chord with you. If you can get into that energy, then you're fine. The overarching story, like the kind of scenarios that you encounter, that's the part that makes it feel epic and exciting. I, I think the story beats get lost on me a little bit as well. And I don't know that I care that much for it from like a like if I was to read it as a book, I don't know that I would be that invested. But because I get to experience it firsthand, it is kind of like, oh, this is like a cool moment in the narrative arc that we're going through. And I don't want to miss that. I think, unfortunately, if it's an unpleasant experience, it doesn't matter how great the story is, you're just not going to jive with it. You know what I mean? It's just not going to work. They they work together. You know what I mean? I think that's where Carcosa probably gets the balance right, and that's probably why I enjoyed that one more. I agree. I'm not a big fan of pulp myself. I like the more re- sort of refined cerebral aspects of the the mythos if you like i think that you have to work pretty hard at the forgotten age to to get there and i only got there because we did the podcast i was pretty lukewarm about the forgotten age it was only through doing the work of working through every (laughs) scenario you know that i got to that place so uh not everyone wants to put in that kind of work to do that yeah 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 (laughs) Uh, this is Hyroreo. I dig it, but I didn't have a good time. I was playing Leo and got body swapped by an alien, which made my ally focus deck absolutely bunk. So I just got wrecked by every follow-up scenario and couldn't really do anything. Feels like the campaign that most rewards knowledge of what you are going to face. Yeah. Yeah. The, the blind playthrough is always going to be nasty. So I've got some feedback from Shattered One. So difficult playing through it, but by far the most satisfying campaign to beat. Really best with the final, final scenario. My impression has been only solidified over time, with TCU being a dud gameplay-wise, Dream Eaters being too convoluted, Innsmouth not having Cthulhu, a very lame final two scenarios, Edge of the Earth being very meh, and Scarlet Keys taking the slot for the worst campaign they've released. Okay. <laughs> so wait, which one did they like? Forgotten Age. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, it is a turning point, I think, after this mm. one. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's merits to some of the other campaigns, but I'm glad that they like the early ones at least. Mm. I think it's really hard after Forgotten Age. Where do you go? I think, you know, how do you keep things fresh and interesting and different? Bit of a challenge. I, I don't think that opinion is unusual either i think a lot of people do think that those first four are the strongest set and the you know since then but i think that's a little bit unfair in the sense that it's just very hard to keep innovating because the first four are very strong so it's very hard to come up with something within the constraints of the existing game and the game design where do you go you know so yeah i can see why that would be a little bit challenging and i think i have one more from Okay, excuse 8337. My absolute favorite. No contest. I'll never forget how good my blind run was. Uh, Yoshian88 replied, same. It was my first campaign outside the corset, and I was completely floored by how awesome, grueling, and intense TFA was. It will always be my favorite. There you go. That's quite a fitting way to end. So, yeah, some, like, 
like Kevling said, there's no, you know, people are not going, eh, it's kind of a bit of, yeah, it's all right. Take it either way. Mm -hmm. People are either in the, you know, one camp or the other. It's a sort of a love or hate kind of relationship with the campaign. There's no middle ground. And I think it's a campaign that rewards effort in the sense of going back to it, playing it and playing it again. It definitely rewards that. Whether you want to do that or not, it's another matter, but it does reward that kind of effort because it has a depth to it, no pun intended there, than perhaps some of the other campaigns don't have. So <laughs> <They're fun. laughs> Yeah, there's also no comments of people saying, oh, I loved it the first time through and now it just sucks and I hate it and it's just frustrating mm. and I don't like it anymore. Like nobody goes from that angle. Yes, because I've read like with Dunwich that people say, oh, you know, it's not that engaging or interesting anymore. I've played it yeah, a few over times. Yeah, time that one it's... has a harder time holding up. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, nobody's nobody's saying that, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. So uh, one thing I would recommend is that they play it again and they step through it with our podcast because we step through each scenario at a time. So that would be one way of sort of putting in the effort, I suppose. There you go. There's a, there's a bit of a plug. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we could do each do a bit of a wrap up of our thoughts before we finish up. Yeah, or just yeah. I don't know what more I could say about it that I haven't already expressed. Other than that, I think that final point about how it is quite impossible. It seems for someone to start off loving this campaign and then end up despising it. That just doesn't seem like a likely outcome because the reward is there. Like you do feel like you've really achieved something when you can complete this campaign. So. It's one of those, I get if it rubs you the wrong way and you don't want to try it again, that makes sense. I think you'd mis be missing out, but also like everyone's taste is different. And so it's, it worked for me. It was one of those campaigns I like revisiting because I like the kind of challenge that it presents, but each campaign presents a unique challenge. So you have to find the ones that you connect with personally. Um, I think, yeah, I think in summary, uh, Forgotten Age is one of my favourites. Um, I think I've mentioned before, it was the first first campaign I played in Arkham as it was released. So I think I got into Arkham while middle of Carcosa, so I was sort of catching up on Dunwich and Carcosa. But for Forgotten Age, it was that, that um, experience of only being able to experience each scenario, each month as it came out, playing along with the rest of the community. And as, as I think that that helps cement it as well as part of the experience, as, as well as the experience of what Forgotten Age itself was. Uh, the sort of pulpy nature, the Indiana Jones nature, the challenging scenarios you're facing, and then the imaginative stuff it did throughout the campaign that we've already been talking about today. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it is one of my favourites for all of those reasons. And, and also, like I say, the nostalgia of it being my first proper Arkham experience as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can't beat that first Arkham experience. Yeah, Carcosa for me, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've become a convert to Forgotten Age. I'd played it true solo and been wrecked. I'd found that my playing it with other people, I'd played it with my kids, that really put them off the game. And... What I realize is, is that it's not a campaign for new players. It's a campaign for people who are much more experienced. And at the same time, I think you have to go into it with a particular set of expectations and a mindset, I think. I think if you do those things, there's many rewards to be enjoyed in this campaign. 
it's epic in every single way there's nothing kind of low-key about it at all it's a huge punch to the face and a huge hug all at the same time <laughs> so, and it definitely rewards multiple playthroughs and has the most epic story in any arkham horror the card game uh, plot and, and narration that there is so uh, from all those things it certainly ticks the boxes is it as good as carcosa i don't think so i think carcosa is still a better campaign and better balanced but it's it's pretty good and so it's definitely one of the the best top three for me so uh, i think forgotten age does what a lot of more recent campaigns do with a lot less words mm, <laughs> like, yes and a lot less like cards and a lot less setup yes. and a lot less length time yep. um i mean because forgotten age is like it can be as you know as long as a 12 part campaign mm. it can be really long like you just certain ones that have to be repeated yeah. and then like other ones are like oh you could play this one like a second time or it's mm. a two-parter so there's just so many sessions with it that they crammed into the original release model and i don't know there is a bit of i don't know that constraint of design of working through the packs i think helped focus in the scenarios for better or for worse depending on which one you're looking at but yeah it's just a little different than how much girth and growth the game has with a lot of the newer campaigns and i i actually like a lot of the newer campaigns i don't i know like the complexity and the lengthy stories can get to be a little much mm. but there's also like there's definitely highlights and there's definitely like experimentation still happening and i think the entire arkham horror lcg series would be a lot different without tfa as this constant reminder I think I would put Carcosa in there as well. I think both of those campaigns really demonstrate what the game can be mm -hmm. and the ways in which it can do different things and it can treat itself very differently. And so I think, yeah, there's a real like, like it would be a lot less without them yeah. and their role I think is really important. There we go. That's an awesome note to end on. Brilliant. So look, thank you very much, Leroy, for uh, taking the time to... Um, chat to us all things forgotten age that was that was really awesome and uh, really interesting to hear your thoughts so if people want to experience uh, Leroy on on the on the interwebs the internets and the YouTubes uh, where should they go so you can find me in a couple different places uh, if you look up Harlan is in danger that's where Tom and I play Arkham Horror the card game so we are going through progression style we have custom challenges we throw at ourselves and do funky things with it so that's a good time yeah. i also have my own like personal youtube channel which has kind of some random videos but now it's primarily focused on doing like game commentaries specifically video games mm -hmm. and then i have another channel uh, called the official oscarina as you can look up it's a, an award show that i made and we're going through retro video games right now so if you like some of these thoughts on dark souls or like kind of talking about mechanics and design and artistry and gaming mm -hmm. then that's definitely something you might be uh, interested to see. Fantastic. That's brilliant. Well, thank you very much for taking the time on behalf of Kevling and I. And uh, yeah. Kevling, thank you so much for oh, having me. This is a blast. You're welcome. It was really awesome. Uh, really awesome. And so, yes, thank you. And Kevling, what are we what are we going to be doing next time? It's Circle Undone next, isn't it? Yes, the circle undone, the dreaded circle undone, which I have to say I'm not a big fan <laughs> of, <laughs> but maybe my mind will be changed by the end of the next season. We will see. But uh, I don't think a lot of people like the circle undone, but um, uh, like I said, I could be wrong about it. But uh, yes, we're going to be uh, trying yeah, through. I, yeah, I don't think it's too popular. I've actually still not finished that one. 
So I'm going to be extra curious to hear your guys' <laughs> thoughts. I like hearing your discussions. It's really illuminating how much detail is put into each scenario. And I just gloss over so much of it. I, I usually start off by reading flavor text. And then as the scenario progresses, I just push it to the wayside because my brain is so preoccupied with all the mechanics. Definitely. And so it's nice that you guys have this space where it's like, no, 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 no. Highlight this part. This is an important part of the game that we need to be more appreciative of. So, yeah, thank you guys for running this podcast i still listen to it when i'm driving to work oh, and stuff you. it's great well that's awesome awesome to hear plays to my strength because i'm a terrible player so this is... <laughs> doing the analysis of it is much easier for me than actually playing the game so there you go <laughs> when kepling and i get together to you know try out the scenarios oh my goodness we're terrible are we kept oh yes yes <laughs> pretty hopeless players so uh, uh we're definitely not next level when it comes to playing that's for sure <laughs> so but thank you for that so yeah i don't know the circle i'm done so uh we will be trekking our way through that one but until then i'm krabby terror 8 i'm kevlin and i'm Leroy. and we'll <laughs> see you again soon bye bye bye-bye so once more thank you for listening we're on all the major podcast platforms, so please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. If you have any feedback for us, you can email us on ftextpodcast at gmail.com or message us on Instagram and threads at ftextpodcast. So on behalf of Crabbytoe8 and myself, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye!